Hi, this is John Leahy, host of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to the podcast on a weekly basis. I truly appreciate my great audience. I'd also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to the podcast. We're on Apple and Spotify and virtually any place where podcasts are heard. So if you like the content, please consider subscribing. I appreciate it once again. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode. everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. My name is John Leahy. Thanks again for being with us. I want to thank my guest last week. It was a very special guest. My youngest brother, Steve Leahy, stopped in to talk about his career and his uh, love of artwork. Uh, if you'd like to check out that episode and any other episode we've done here on the podcast, please head on over Please head on over to LeahyStorytelling.com. That's L-E-A-H-Y Storytelling.com. All the episodes we've done are there. Uh, you can check out a blog that I have. There's a video of some music that I've done. Also, you can rate particular episodes uh, from zero to five stars. You can search for any episode you'd like. There's a search bar there. And you can also uh, leave a voice message for me. There's a purple microphone at the lower right-hand corner of each page of the website. Very easy to send me a message. I'll respond to all of them. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions, uh, I would love to hear from you. Also, my uh, personal website at johnrlahey.com uh, is up and, of course, running. And you can check out the podcast from the website as well as it, everything links together. So uh, wanted to get that administrative stuff out of the way. And here on the podcast this week, we're going to talk to a very special guy, a guy who's been involved with Merrimack College Hockey since the 1970s. He's a guy that uh, I see often up at Merrimack, and he's got a lot of great stories to tell. He's our friend John Savastano. John, great to have you here, my friend. Thanks. A pleasure to be with you, John. Great day today. Yeah, it sure is. We got a lot of Merrimack hockey to talk here, John, and you know a lot of memories. And uh, well, I guess we'll start by talking about uh, your involvement with Merrimack hockey. It goes all, all the way back to the seventies, doesn't it? I came with the building, as a lot of people <laughs> say. Uh, I, I, you, know, the, you had the uh, the brickwork and the the uh, world famous rafters, best rafters in hockey east, by the way. And uh, and and so, but anyway. Uh, yeah, it's it's a long involved. My brother was a student there, and he was doing the. He basically was the John Leahy of the uh, of the early days. He was doing the play by play, and um, I was just sort of tagging along. I had been going to Merrimack games over at the Frost Arena. You know, you had the power teams of the '60s. Yeah. Because which was really funny because it developed into the power teams of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and it seemed like every 10 years, exactly, you had a team in 68, 78, 88, and then the Garden in 98. Things just sort of followed on the eighth year of every decade. It was kind of funny, but anyway, uh, Volpe sent it as opening, and it opened uh, the same week as the Schneider Arena, 
um, obviously a marked marked difference in construction or frugality, if you will. Yeah. But uh, it certainly had 34 to 3,600 seats actually. 3618 was the advertised amount. Okay. It's sort of like you put that over here, like the 13909, which the old garden used to be. Okay. Yep. Anyway, uh, so I was um, sort of. Um, you know, enjoying uh, hanging out and uh, with my brother and stuff like that. And I was I already started my uh, after college of video production work and career and stuff. And um, a, a sort of a gruff but funny Tom Lawler said, uh, "Well, what are you what are you doing? Just hanging around?" I said, "Well, coach, I do this." And I says, "Well, we've got this little video system, and I don't know how I have to use it." Yep. Let me get it. Let me take a look at it and see what we got. Now, at that time, John, it was a, a black and white camera, Sony camera, hooked up to a black and white reel-to-reel video recorder. Wow. Okay. So every game, it's 1972, and we're on reel-to-reel. So I said, well, this is kind of fun. I wasn't really doing much else at the time. You know, it's winter and there's no uh, there's no surfing, et cetera. So <laughs> I just started hanging out with the team and going everywhere and. Had a seat on the bus before you know it. We had a special wagon to carry all my gear, and uh, we, we, we did it up as best we could. And the coaches were amazed because he could get back and watch the games all week. It was, it was phenomenal. And uh, prior to that, everybody had sent film out to get developed and come back. Right. And, uh, and you know, they would get these, these eight millimeter videos to throw on a projector. And of course, that seems like it's a million years ago right, at this point. Right. Right. So uh, black white video was the new the new age. It was amazing. Right. Well, we we definitely want to we definitely want to talk more about that stuff. But uh, we want to yeah. get into want to get into a lot of stories if I could. But before I do, uh, you know, I want to talk about yeah. your I want to talk about your brother Rick. Now, of course, he was an alum back in the seventies. He was uh, the PA announcer there for uh, going on two decades, I guess it was. He was also the clock operator, and sadly, he passed away uh, a few years ago. So let, let's talk about Rick and what he did, and then kind of your relationship with him as you got started at Merrimack. Yeah, well, again, he was the impetus for me being there and then for me to start it up. But Rick was uh, uh, class of 75, and, of course, he started, like I said, when the Volpe opened November 12, 1972. Okay. So he was, he was right in with the program. He was playing JV at the time, and every, everybody had cross-pollinated jobs and stuff like that. And, you know, it's funny. If you can envision any given night right now where there's a million staff members running around like a Swiss watch trying to run things. There were four of us. Wow. Running the show. <laughs> and we got it done. <laughs> and our, 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 course, our impetus was be as Division One as you can, even though you're not Division One. Right, right. Yep. You know, I said, we got to make this place be like Texas Stadium from this to that to every little feature. Let's be cool. Let's be, you know, the best. So that was the thing. And Rick was the timer and announcer. Okay. Together. Yeah. Um, and um, long after, not too long after that, I did a little side thing. I'm saying, you know, we, the school has no band. And there's no music anyway. Yep. And the, the, this, is, this is a great first story for you, is that the rink had no sound system. Okay. What they put in was a PA system so that the secretaries in the athletic office 
that let Tom Lawler know, who of course was also the AD, yep. in the ring or during practice, Coach, you get a phone call from so-and-so, whatever. That's all it was. Okay. And it, and we can all recall laughing our heads off because we'd be coming back. It's one in the morning. You're getting home from Bowdoin or Colby or, or wherever. And we would hear this music playing, you know, early a.m., 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. And there's this music playing through the building, and there's nobody around. Yep. What had happened was, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, on a clear night, we were picking up a shortwave radio station out of Halifax. Oh, wow. Nova Scotia. Okay, yep, yep. And it kept, every 30 seconds, it kept playing the beginning of O Canada. Okay. Uh, and it would be like, like that. Dun, 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 dun. The time in Halifax is, you know, I'm going to. And this was the extent of the stuff that we had. Oh, wow. Very we bare bones, John. We had ghosts in there, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Anyway, we sort of jamoked a, uh, in those days, uh, facilities was very um, uh, minimally staffed. We had a Zamboni driver, and uh, that was about it. Yeah. And a wonderful guy by the name of Stu Anderson, who was the, Sort of the manager and everything, and he, he kept everything as best he could with the new Zamboni and such. And, uh, but we sort of ran around, and with nobody to tell us who couldn't, we bought our own sound system. Nice. In, put it in, hooked it up to those two speakers temporarily, and it says, "Well, we have no school band like everyone else. Let's just play some music." So we were a precursor, really, to even the NHL having music program in arena. Wow. So. So we had it all going. We had sound effects. We had kooky things, and and we try to replicate as best we could, you know, things like that. And so I ended up um, uh, upstairs in the corner over what was now the coach's office. Yeah, and you built that, that box, didn't you? Yeah, my folks said let's let's build a box to do this. I said, okay, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, oddly enough, there was a local guy. Uh, from Andover, who came to all the games, one of these old-time guys, who was a plumber, he says, I'm going to put in a beer tap. I go, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> so we actually had one, but we hooked it up when we needed water to make coffee and stuff like that. Great. Great view from up there, and as you would know, if you're ever up in that corner, it's almost like you're in the flight deck on an aircraft carrier. Oh, yeah. Watching the whole, all the flight operations. It's the best spot in town. Yep, uh, spent some time up there. So we parlayed that into a better sound system uh, that my folks ended up. Um, we all just switched in and just did it. I mean, there was no one in the place to say you couldn't do anything. Great, okay. yep. Uh, so we just bought it, had some other guy pitch in, and everybody pitched in for nothing to put the sound system in, new microphone system, and then we followed up with the air horns in the 90s yep. and it just, it just fell into our, our, our own little venue and, and of course at that time there was no press box right at all so we doubled a, a, an area there where you could have a few few press don't forget at that time you're still calling in scores no one's there yep and you're mimeographing literally is an old word and sending things out as best you could I don't think we had a fact yep so we were helping out SID. We were, we all had a, a lot of hats after a game. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So, so one thing we always had 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, the one thing we always get a kick out of is um, in the power days of Division Two, where you were just beating everybody 9-1, 10-1, 14-1, we had a fellow who was doing sports information. And just for fun, to see what would happen the next day, we have to call the Globe. We have to call the Herald. Yep. And we had a fictitious player on the team named Quentin Baruch. Okay. And every time we gave a certain couple of scores, you know, so-and-so with an assist to so-and-so, whatever, we added Quentin Baruch to a couple of the goals just <laughs> to see if they'd make the paper the next day. And they did. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Wild and woolly days of Division Two. Well, that's what well, that's what I want to touch on as well. You were involved uh, with Merrimack back in 1978 when they went to the Division Two NCAA championship. Uh, so uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit and that joyous ride and, and your experiences with it. That started on a in blizzard conditions uh, a couple of weeks earlier, uh, before the playoffs even originated. And what happened was. Um, we were going away to Army to play, and it was terrible weather. So we got canceled. And then um, we were going to be meet in Hartford, but say comes the blizzard of 78. Yep. The roof of the, the Hartford Civic Center collapses. Right. So the NCAA has us playing in the Springfield Coliseum. Which is where the Whalers uh, played for a while, too. They had the same problem. That's right. Yep. Yep. And uh, um, so we ended up uh, playing the national championship against uh, Mankato State, Illinois, Chicago. And uh, boy, oh boy, if I was really on my game, I remember the other team. But uh, we won it handily. And um, the most interesting thing of all was being at Springfield because the Whalers were there also. Yep. We had a few days' practice just after the Whalers would practice. Okay. And we overlapped. They got the, and the Whalers got a really good kick out of it. And uh, we'd be overlapping for a couple of, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, goofing off like that. And I, I would bring my, my gear along with the video gear. I'd take my skates and stuff. Then on the ice, and I had a give and go with Gordie Howe. Oh, wow. Yeah, tell us more about that. And, well, he... Uh, it was around uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend, in mid-March, and uh, he had shown up one day with a bunch of, of course, the Whalers were wearing green anyway, green and blue, green pucks. Wow. With shamrocks on them. Nice. And he came with a whole box of them or something. I don't know how he got these for that day, and everybody ended up with a, uh, a puck with a green, big shamrock on it. The Whalers local. Nice. That's pretty but, sharp. But, uh, but to tool around the ice and uh, just doing a little give and go and going, man, I tell you what, until someone else else comes along, this is the coolest thing going. Oh, absolutely. Spend a lot of time in a pond and goofing off and around the rink, and now you've, you've, you've made the grade. You just took a pass, big give and go with Gordy out. Oh, wow. That's, that's so, incredible. Just amazing, amazing stuff, amazing people, uh, team camaraderie, um, which which built during the year, that championship year, uh, based on uh, a midseason game with uh, Salem State. Uh, 
you know, these, these were heavy, heavy games. And it was almost like there were no divisions. Okay. You know, uh, and in the beginning, there were no divisions, you know. Yeah. Our first our first shot at a title was 76. We had to go to Vermont. So they bust loads of kids and follow them to the team. And we lost to them uh, in the ECAC Division II Championship. Up okay. there. Yep, right. And needless to say, they already had established well, a heck of a team, you know. Yes, and, indeed. Uh, the, following, yeah, the following year, we had the great uh, recruiting class with the Magnusons and the Toomeys and the Larry Nicholas's, just this core of amazing players. Uh, started off that year 0 6, lost two to Ohio State. But then we went on a roll and, and won it all. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, I got to I got to touch on the 1988 uh, season as well. When uh, Merrimack played North, Northeastern, there was a two-game playoff series. Now, the winner was decided by total goals, and uh, Merrimack won uh, those two games uh, in terms of the t- uh, the total goals. So, uh, how special was that? Well, losing five-two or five-three the first night, yeah. and uh, Northeastern had just won Hockey East. I mean, not Hockey East. The um, what do you call it? The, uh, uh, yeah, we, they, they did very well in Hockey East. I can't remember where they finished, but they won the bean pot also. Okay, yeah, right. And uh, behind the uh, backstopping of Bruce Racine, he was the goalie. Okay, yeah. And, and Freddie Flamin and every you know, they're still like, oh, well, we only have to play Merrimack in the first round. This would be great. Well, the problem is you were up against a Merrimack team that had nine to ten guys who went pro. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, you had huge defensemen. You had tough forwards. You had the Ricky Peones, Andy Hines, Brad Atoll, speed demons. And the, the motto of the team was speed kills. Okay. And you, and you also had the best goalie in, at that time anywhere, Jim Rivnett. Who went on to the NHL with the Washington Capitals. Correct, yep. yep. Capitals and uh, then the Blues. Yep. Um, of course, he retired. But um, so this was a when they use the term wagon, this was a wagon, and you're, you're talking 34 wins. All right. Winning, winning. I think about eight out of the ten the games were Division One independent. Or Division One as an independent. Yep. Including uh, that's the year we went out to San Diego. <laughs> wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had to play out there. You. U.S. International University. Okay, yep. And so anyway, uh, yeah, so that was a real – so again, it's 10 years later, after 78. Uh, we had lost uh, – we won the um, 77 and 78 ECACs. 79, we lost to Lowell. They were the new kids on the block getting more powerful with Craig McTavish and that whole crew. Right, right. And Merrimack won the second game of that uh, two-game total goal series, 7-3. to three. I think you're right. It was 5-3 Northeastern in the first game, and then Merrimack won 7-3 uh, uh, in the second game. So, uh, really, that had to be a special time for you to be involved with Merrimack. It really was because, uh, I tell you, one of our key folks who traveled with the team was Danny Roach from uh, WBZ. He, right. Uh, he was the... Uh, announcer at that time. Yep. Yep. And we still have we still have his call of the game uh, safely stored away. You know, I'm and, gonna uh, I'm, right. I'm gonna probably see Dan at the Bean Pot next week, so I'm gonna have to tell him uh, that we talked. I'm sure he'll have some great memories of you. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see. I um, normally, if I get down to a Pats game, I'll, I'll go in very early in the morning, catch up with um, the guys at Sports Hub, and catch over with Danny and just shoot the breeze, see what's going on, and leave by halftime and come home. Oh, great <laughs> but, stuff. Uh, I catch them there. But uh, either way, that second game, John, we had had enough. They were running Rivneck all day with the, their big defenses. Okay. Running them. Our guys had enough, and it was like a uh, it seemed like a forty-five guy fight. Oh wow! It was like everybody. The referees just backed off and said, "You know, we're from the Western League. We don't see that much of this stuff. Go for it." You know. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Northeastern took a pounding, an absolute pounding, and okay. they never went back again. And they went on. We went on this this. Um, the stretch of goals in the second and third period and buried them. And the rumor, of course, is that if you look closely at a Northeastern game in Northeastern, the ghost of Bruce Racine is still there. <laughs> he, was big, he was a big cat, MVP of um, the, the uh, bean pot and all this other kind of stuff. And then we, of course, went on to have to play uh, Lake Superior State where we just got nipped in that first game and had lost the second one. But, hey, you made it to the final eight in the country. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk to you about uh, that Lake Superior State experience. Um, they went on to become the eventual NCAA champs, and uh, I guess you guys had a plane ride uh, when you went out there. So uh, I'd like you to reflect back on that whole experience. Tell us anything you want about that Lake Superior experience. Well, the the fun the, the actually the fun trip that year was going to San Diego. Okay. And uh, because we had two games out there, a guy who was a grad student from University of Maine started the program out there. Okay. So it's easy, it's easy to attract a lot of people in the winter from north of the border to play in San Diego college hockey. Oh, absolutely. And uh, but we wanted to go and. Um, because my brother and I surfed, so we really wanted to go. Yeah. And and um, we left uh, a few days early in January, as we say, we quote jokingly, to get acclimated to the altitude. <laughs> LOL. And no, we're just playing beach, and there's, um, so we head to Dallas, and there's an ice storm. In Dallas, wow. We're on a non-meal flight, stuck in Dallas, can't get to the terminal for five hours, and there's nothing but ice, ice and water on the plane. Wow. The, the snacks were gone, everything was gone. Uh, so we stayed overnight right there, and we got out on uh, two flights the next day. So basically, we lost what we'll call a beach day. San <laughs> Diego. <laughs> um, and um, and it's, it was a place called the Mira Mesa Ice House. Okay. Conveniently located in, in a very quiet location down the street from Top Gun School. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you know it was it was kind of a nice few days. We had an extra day there, four days, five days, and uh, to get out of town. And um, there we were, hockey in California. It was a lot of fun. But yeah. Um, yep. anyway, off to Lake Superior State which is known as, it's almost April, you fly into Detroit, yep. and now you drive seven hours north. Yep, 
In fact, four years yep. ago, four years ago, um, I made that trip. Where that's exactly what we did. Uh, Merrimack started the season out there. We flew to Detroit, and then we caught a bus and we drove all the way up there. And it's, of course, it's right, right across from Canada, way up on top there. Right at the Sioux. Yeah, right. Uh, it's funny. We, we went across to the other side, to the Canadian side, one afternoon, and and there in the lobby was a picture of Wayne Gretzky. He played for the Greyhounds. Oh yeah. Course, that's where Phil and Tony Esposito were from. Yep, yep, right. But, yep. Like if, but if you think the word snow, it will start snowing. Yeah, right. So it's late, late March, and we're pulling into town, and there's a big sign in front of the uh, totally enclosed up dairy queen that says, Think Thaw. Never forget it. And uh, But it was a great, you know, you, you know, it, it's just the camaraderie of a hockey bus that, that's untouchable. It's untouchable. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. I'm sitting in the back with um, Jim Loeb, the old Olympian. He was the goalie coach at that time. And uh, but you know, when you get on the bus, you've got the you get the coaches right up front on the right hand side. Yep, yep. Right after that, you get the French speaking guys. Okay. And they're then you get the American guys, and they're all hitting the book. Yep. And then the back of the bus, you get all the uh, Toronto and the Western boys up, the Canadian boys, playing 42 card games. Oh, yeah. Right. Everybody right. seems to be broken up like that. It was a story one time about the American Hockey League. It said, geez, I said, you know, that's, that's, that's almost like the way it goes. Oh, absolutely. Those bus trips are a lot of fun. And uh, yeah. I've done my share of them in baseball as well, and then they can really be a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, John, you did you did a lot of work for Merrimack. You did video work for the team. You videoed games. You did highlights for the end of season banquets, and you also, of course, handled uh, playing the music. So you really were quite quite involved. And there's a great story about Huey Lewis and the national anthem. I wonder if you could uh, share that with us and how that all came about. Ron Anderson was real innovative. He liked to always sit down with me and say, "Savvy, what are we going to do this year? Let's do something different." Should we change the? Uh, we got involved in three different uniform changes, jersey designs. Yep. That was kind of fun. And um, there's one I'd love to see come back. It really looks good on the boys. But um, uh, between that and um, just to be different, just to be cool, you know, I said, you know, they sang for the Oakland A's and the 49ers. Yep. And um, so Huey or Hugh Craig. Had has uh, relations. He has family in Andover and Methuen. Okay. Yeah. His dad, Huey's dad, uh, spent all his summers at Hampton Beach. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. And he was in an orchestra. By day, he was a lifeguard at Hampton Beach, and by night, he was in the band. Oh wow! So Huey, so Huey was mechanically, I'm uh, mechanically. Musically inclined, yeah, and, and such, and you know he uh, traveled. He bummed out of Cornell and traveled Europe, and then he settled into the Bay Area and did the whole thing. Uh, and we had so we had a few people who knew him, and he was always before becoming Huey Lewis and News and popular. He'd be I forget the name of the group, but they would always be at the casino, and only a few of us knew it. Okay. So, so we got to know him and stuff like that, and. Um, we finally said, Ronnie, I'm telling you, this anthem is a cappella barbershop style, and it's the best. Okay. So I got a hold of his uh, recording firm, Hulex, which is across the Bay Area, 
And uh, we told them what we wanted to do. We want to be different. We want to be unique. They were honored because it was hockey. They loved hockey. Okay. He said, so we're going to uh, we're going to have the guys get in the studio and cut it for you so it's clean, so there's no, you know, it wasn't from the Oakland A's or whatever. And uh, they did that. They sent us a nice letter. Let's all have a letter. Select boys, the whole bit. And, you know, don't distribute it. Where I said, listen, we, we're that unit. We don't want to give this to anybody. No one's getting this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the long and the short is that we started playing it, and everybody on the planet wanted to hear it. Oh, nice. And uh, prior to uh, Ron's, well, Ron's departure was sort of when we uh, said, let's close the books on it. And uh, we had a home stretch of about 42 and 1. Wow. And 42, 1 and 0. So um, if anyone out there wants to hear it, just go to YouTube, and there are a couple of renditions. There's, there's a long and a short one. Uh, it is a barbershop acapella-style anthem that's just too cool to be true. And, of course, my brother Rick would go, now, ladies and gentlemen, please rise and join Huey Lewis in the news. And everybody goes, what? What? He's here? Where? What? And, uh, and it was great. At one time, we had arranged... For Huey, the Rogers Center had opened yep. across the parking. Yep. And uh, there's another little story about that. But anyway, um, we had we were in the middle of arranging. Hey, instead of playing the tape, let's get the news over here for a weekend concert. All right. And, and sing it live. But the um, there was a little bit of um, August. Let's call it what we used to call Augustinian trepidation. Oh, okay having a a, a a concert that might get out of hand. Well, you know, how can you get out of hand if you have security? You only have a couple thousand seats or whatever. So did you pull and it off? We we were told to uh, think of something else. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. No, no, no. Bummer. So is there any way, is there any chance that in the future we could uh, maybe have that rendition played at a Merrimack game? What do you think? What's your opinion? Right now, it's interesting you say that because right now, um, with the new sound system, um, there's some um, music that I call situational music yep. that needs to be played in the arena. Not not, not just Huey, but I'm I'm talking about um, uh, what and when to play things, uh, what kind of music doesn't belong in hockey rinks, etc. And I'm trying to work right now with uh, some of the admin, they're warming up. They didn't know who the heck I was. And I said, here's who I am. Here's who I was. And then someone said, you know, you you know, that's the music. Right and I said, since we had no band, we had to go NHL style early. Yeah. Yep. We, all, we, we want to play different kind of things. And I said, boy, one thing I am going to do next year is just once. And hopefully every alumni weekend game, we play Huey. Great. So yeah. I was speaking with the um, one of the gentlemen, Kieran Collins, who was, uh, has been a great help in trying to get things rolling to adjust the music, let's call it culture, during in-game situations. And I said, is, there's a whole science to this. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But there's a whole way of doing things, which I helped out with at Gillette. Yeah. And 
uh, where this one fellow, Gary Gradecki, was the music guy. A couple of the guys that I know, uh, we'll, we'll save their names, who work at the garden, and, and some guys I knew at the Lightning. And I said, it's what you play, when you play it. It's not just to play it, it's to get the crowd up. Right. Okay. Now, one other thing we used to have was a thing called Game Ops Commander, which was every organ chant you could think of, Yep. including Canadian American Evans. People were calling, wanted to know where the organist sits. <laughs> wow. And I said, well, we can't tell you that. He just sort of comes in with it. So these are those little elements that turn you into an NHL level, and I, I think that level can be achieved. Either way, Huey... Uh, hopefully for one game a year, maybe that alumni like you saw Saturday night, amazing turnout of alumni players and such. We played it for the alumni game. Nice. And, and everybody lit up. And, of course, our other famous song was for 30 years, we come under the ice to Hawaii 5 Oh, that's great. That's great. We're talking with John. That was, our, that yep. was our time. That was our signature. Now it's different. Everybody has their own thing. I understand that, but we're going to see if we can get Huey back in the building. That's awesome. We're talking with John Savistano. He's a longtime associate of Merrimack Hockey. He's done a lot of work with the school back uh, since the 70s. This is airing it out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Pool. John, I wanted to touch a little bit on the rivalry with Lowell back in the D2 days. Uh, of course, uh, everybody understands the geography between the two schools, less than 10 miles apart. But, you know, it started way back then in those D2 days, and it's it's really come on, and it, it's a great uh, rivalry between Merrimack and Lowell. I wondered if you have any stories you'd like to share about that. Well, at, at, at first, of course, it was Lowell State Teachers College and Lowell Tech. Right. So we would be playing Lowell Tech uh, with actually one of the best goalies you've ever seen around, Mike Garagosian, who's a longtime goaltender and goaltender coach. Uh, he, he was one of the, the stars of Lowell Tech. And uh, when Billy Riley took over, things got a little, uh, uh, you know, their, their, their program improved, obviously, and they were getting a lot of the Bill Ricker kids and stuff like that right down the street. But they were playing in the, uh, the old Pelly Forum. Um it all came to a head in we, – we would beat them handily all the time. Okay. I think, you know, I was probably tired of seeing us. And in 79, uh, that, that era there is when Craig McTavish came about. Yep, right. He was with them. I don't even I – don't I probably didn't want to wear a helmet even then. They had to. Yep. Um, and that changed it. That changed. They were playing at Skate 3 in Kingsboro. Um, we were at sort of the end of our run there. 79, Gilles Muppet was our, our steady goaltender right through. Right. Uh, and uh, their fans were absolutely, well, they called themselves the Wildmen. And they were the, the Oakland Raiders, if you will, of Division II hockey. Yep. Including, including their fans. And I can remember our playoff game, which we lost to them when the tide started to turn. In 79, um, they had just made the ice, and somebody came out with a goose and put him in the net, the Merrimack net. Uh oh. And the poor guy was still wet, but he was stuck to the ice. Oh boy. And uh, so we had to have a, an old time fellow who we, we missed dearly. His name is Duke, Duke Ellington. He was another volunteer old-timer. He would get out, and he was not happy. Charlestown guy, not happy, is not a good thing. 
Oh, yeah, for and, sure. <laughs> so, so he went out there, and he got it, and he brought it over to the little locker room and tossed it in the door. <laughs> the thing you do in the old days, you know. Oh, absolutely. And, and with this, now you know why after a while, Jack Parker, I used to see him later, he said, you know, you you with your music and all that wow stuff. We playing at Merrimack is like going to the dentist for a root canal every time. <laughs> that was Jack's opinion. Huh? That was Jack's opinion. You're saying? That was yeah. Yeah, coming here is like playing going to the dentist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you want to you want to make it as uncomfortable as you can for the visiting team, right? So I guess mission mission accomplished there. Even if it means you're going to play sound effects like a 747 doing a low pass over the ceiling, which is one of Mac McFavorite's favorites. Oh, right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, someone asked me the other day, Sam, do you still have the toilet flushing? I go, no. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wish I, was, but, uh, I wish I was around back then uh, working there. That, that sounded like a lot of fun. But This was the heyday of hockey. Yeah, absolutely. So we anyway, got- uh, the tough thing, John, that year was 79, the NCAAs, we were hosting them. Okay. But we, were, we didn't make the NCAAs. Lowell was playing in our building. Okay, yep. And following that, the rivalry went off the charts with a hatred that was beyond belief. Okay. When they came here, there were two entrances. Up in the front of the old, out in front of the old, of what I still call and will call forever, the Volpe Center. Right. The personal thing. Okay. There were two doors. One was set up with the Massachusetts State Police lining up, frisking, and letting them, Lowell students go and into, through the gym, into a back hallway to get to their seats to separate them from. All of us people in the good, the good the white cowboy hat. Wow, great rivalry. Yeah, great rivalry. That had sent them down a different aisle, state police. It was amazing. Amazing. Wow. And uh, it just carried on. And then, of course, all right, the turnabout was the next year with Coach Bruce Parker. We beat them in the ECAC championship at the Tully Forum, and we beat them 4 nothing. We shut them out. Wow. Yeah, I remember. The, I remember games uh, back at the Tully Forum. Yep, that was uh, that was a uh, great old arena. So yeah, some great memories also uh, back in the days. Merrimack and Lowell, great stuff. John, you're a, you're also you're also a devotee of. Uh, you mentioned the surfing, but you know, you love Hawaii, the Hawaiian music, and and we got to touch on Jimmy Buffett here because you know Jimmy is a longtime favorite of mine, probably the most favorite of all. And uh, I've, I've collected all his albums over the year. I love to play his music. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about your love for Hawaiian music and and Jimmy Buffett as well. Well, it's uh, it's funny how things intertwine with hockey, but I can remember a fellow, we had this one really cool laid-back beach-type kid named Jocko Magadini. Okay. Uh, whose father, I believe, started the Eastern company, you know, the aluminum baseball bats and all that other stuff. Yep, yep. And he, he was a little tiny forward out of Jersey, and we're on our way to play Army, and it's a miserable, you know, those fat flakes, wet snowstorm. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take an hour to get to Army. It takes a long time. Right. And 
at that time, the Sony Walkman, you know, you put the little cassette in and it was a little headset. Oh, yeah, I still have one, yeah. Yeah. And I said, Chuckle, what are you listening to? Because I didn't have one. He said, oh, you want to listen to some? I got some Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. I haven't heard him since he knew Derek Sanderson. <laughs> yeah, right. So he gave it to me, and it's the middle of February. It's dreary. And I'm putting on a song called No Plane on Sunday. Oh, know it well, yeah, right. And I'm saying, all of a sudden, I'm in a hammock, swinging back and forth, and I'm I'm, I'm on this bus, closing my eyes. And I said, that does it. i got to at least get back down south. <laughs> so, like many people, Jimmy's the impetus of getting away from it all. Escapism, yep. The escapism. Absolutely. Yeah, and you and I have talked. You and I have talked about uh, ukuleles in the past, and uh, you know our love for that great instrument. And uh, I swear, one of these days, John, I'm going to bring my uke to the game. You never know when uh, we can when a party will break out. There we go. There we go. Well, I, I have a new roommate, John. His name is Arthur Ritus. Okay. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I'm wondering if I can pick up the ukulele these days. All it's, right. It's uh, a curse of cold water surfing, I guess I'll lose it. But anyway, yeah, the music, I'll laugh. And, and Jimmy parlayed it into a love of Hawaii that we all just infectiously get. And Absolutely. And hanging around there and picking up a lot from um, – Guys like Henry Capono, Daniel Ho, uh, my favorite, Troy Fernandez. Man, can they pick. Oh, and without question, yeah. High speed, Daytona 500 picking. And uh, so, uh, you know, he started this little cafe and out there. Then he would have the locals come in and play there. Mm-hmm. And everybody, when you're local out there, brother, as they say, everybody knows everybody. And... Um, so over the years, my brother as well, who loved musicians, uh, we had a group called the Makaha Sons, who were the gold standard of Hawaiian traditional music out there. Okay. And they would come, they would come here every September. We'd fill one of the, uh, not an arena, but we filled one of the civic centers here along the coast because everybody had a Hawaiian tie. A lot of people from here went to the University of Hawaii. It's just that whole getaway connection which still exists and uh so um it's great when i go out there now because you know the musicians you go out and catch up with them and or surprise them what are you doing here hey games to you you know but but they're all regular you know they're grammy award winners yeah you know? yeah and i remember one day um the makaha sons were here on a day off and we got them uh, my brother had arranged with the Patriots, for them to sing the anthem at Gillette Stadium. Okay. And they did it Hawaiian a cappella style. They all went out in their junior Seau jerseys, and uh, they 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 couldn't get it. They were shocked. Wow. So it, it so that was a little tie-in for us on that. But um, I remember being home one time over Rick's house on a Sunday afternoon, and everybody's just picking. And I'm saying... I'm in a room with like about five Grammy Award winners. And the, the, the kid who taught Jake Shimabukuro everything he knew. Yeah. Yep. Am I really strumming like a fool? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Great stuff. You never know. 
Great stuff. John, before I let you go, I just got to ask you, uh, I want to ask your, your connection with the Los Angeles Kings. I see you walking around with a Kings championship ring. So uh, what's the story behind that? Well, uh, my daughter actually uh, worked um, in TV and television, and she worked in uh, different different cities, including L.A. One of the guys she had worked with in Montana, of all places, a CBS station, you know, when you're going up the ladder, rung, rung by rung, yep. city, um, was the video coordinator. He, he was working as the sports director for the station in Bozeman. Yep. And um, KBZK. And he was from San Diego, but he was Pete Carroll's video guy at SC. Okay. USC. Yep. And when he got back, he was with them for a little while. Uh, and then he got the job as a video coordinator for the LA Kings. So he was our contact. And um, most, most times I would fly going back to Hawaii uh, through LAX spend a day, extra day, we all get together, we go to practice, we do this, do that. And um, it was a great day just getting familiar with the Kings and the, and the organization, as they say. Yep, yep. <laughs> so so um, I had acquired a, um, a ring that um, he said, Savvy, all of this stuff together, he put, he put my name, and I got one. It was a, a – um, it's obviously – you know, they're big rings, but they're half the size of the player's ring, which is yeah, yeah. commemorative uh, that you knew somebody in the staff or something like that. But, so, um, um, love the L.A. Kings. And, uh, matter of fact, uh, for a while, Steve McKenna, who was the before Chara, tallest man in NHL history. Okay, yep. Played Merrimack, big Steve. And who also, in a minor league game in Phoenix, beat up Marty Masoris. Wow, that's and, an accomplishment. Yes. Yeah, he left right after the season was over. Merrimack, he was out there. And he's in the Kings, I love to say it, organization. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so uh, we would catch up uh, from time to time on the road or, or stuff like that. So I just always had a sort of a Kings um, uh, thing going, you know. Oh, that's awesome, John. <laughs> Our assistant coach, Jay Lee, was the assistant coach of the Kings as well. Right, right. Well, John, that, that's uh, that's great. We've had some great stories here. Uh, I, I wish we had more time, but uh, we're, we're going to wrap it up here. I always enjoy seeing you at Merrimack Hockey Games, John. You're an important part of the history of the college and, and the hockey experience there. Always great seeing you, and uh, I thank you for coming on the podcast today. I know our audience is going to enjoy it. Thanks, John. One thing we're looking forward to as I close is that uh, I came back to fix the music culture. I came back to um, there was a period of uh, dark clouds that had descended upon our wonderful Augustinian institution, but the sun came back out. While the clouds were moved in, a lot of the artifacts, records, pictures, and stuff were being thrown out. We saved them. We have them. And uh, we want to do a player legacy wall somewhere up in the rink somewhere, a historic timeline of through the years, which every rink should have. And the players are looking forward to funding it themselves because they are the legacy. Awesome. So that's the other project, and that one I'm never going to stop working on. 
awesome. I hope we see that in the very near future. And I know if you're spearheading it, I know it's going to be a, a terrific, terrific project. John, thanks again for being with us. I look forward to seeing you out at the rink. Thanks, John. We'll see you soon. Very good. He's Take John care, He's John Savastano, longtime Merrimack College Hockey Associate. He's done some great things there at the college. We invite you to stay with us next week. We'll have more on Airing It Out Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hi, this is John Leahy. Please check out my website at johnrleahy.com. You can explore the history of my time in sportscasting from my early days to the present. You can view my resume, listen and watch my audio and video demonstration reels, as well as learn about this podcast, my internet radio station, the Harbor Light Sessions Radio Network, watch my music demos, learn about my books, audiobook narration, and you can check out my event calendar. There's also an informational section with tips and tools in broadcasting, along with my personal influences and cool links. Check it out at johnrleahy.com. Jump